Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a geoff, it could be. Maybe it's Mitt Romney. Know you love this weekend moments, original morning news. If you love Lindsay Sterling, Harper in Utah and cello salad foods. Oh, you're gonna love this show. Coming to you live from our secret studio in a bunker on Baffin Island, it's This Week in Mormons. <laughs> I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder and host. We're This Week in Something. This Week in Inuits is what we will be. This Week, Twee. Tweez. <laughs> Anyway, the man giving me pity laughter. He's been gone for a couple of months. Very glad to welcome to the pod, Devin Thorpe. How are you doing, my friend? It is good to be back. I'm sorry I've missed you for so long. I just feel like I've been out alone in the wilderness. You've uh, you've had some some be... you've had some things going on. Yeah, I've had you've a lot had going some, on. A lot going had some on. Things I... going on. I mean, uh, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. So what what's new with you? What's what's going on? Yeah, Devin? You so say, you, know, you run yeah. Congress again in Utah or no? <laughs> no, we're moving to Florida. And uh, we're going to buy a truck and a trailer and travel around a lot. Um, now, I need to ask you what your code word is, whether you are safe or under duress based on that statement, I'm moving to Florida. Because <laughs> people don't usually say that willfully. Just want to be clear. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We're, no, we're, we're excited to get out of the snow, uh, especially this time of year. This is the time of year to be moving to Florida. So we're excited. So if you're trying to be sunbirds, why not go to the Texas coast or Arizona or many of the other locales? Why any any reason just like Florida in particular? Yeah, um we have long looked at Florida. We've we've enjoyed Florida. Uh, most of our I, I will confess that my wife's very first uh visit to Florida re- resulted in the words uh I'm never coming back here. <laughs> 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 famous last words we're now moving to florida so um but yeah we've had a lot of good experiences in florida so we're excited to get back there and, cool uh, it's like me when i went to arizona earlier this year i just said like why just like why does anyone even live why do people live here i don't understand yeah. this i'll spare <laughs> yeah, my been, beloved arizonans the, the grief i just yes it, it it yeah phoenix can get warm can yeah. get well, so warm. can Florida. Very hot there. Very humid. Yeah, yeah. That's what on. my wife didn't like. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, when it's ninety-five <laughs> degrees and ninety-five percent humidity, that is warm weather. But you're like, deal with it, Gail. This is my dream. <laughs> no, that's why we bought the truck and the trailer. We will go north. <laughs> we will spend the summer in the north, the Great White North. We'll go, go to, to Canada. Go up to Acadia. Uh, yeah. I need to go to Acadia. Well, that's fun. So yeah. goodbye, Utah, and yeah. hello. And we're going to, we're getting a, an electric truck and, uh, and we're going to put solar panels and remove all of the like propane and gas stuff. No generator. We're going to be live entirely off the solar panels on the, on the trailer. That's our Can you goal. get enough kilowatt hours out of, uh, out of the solar panels for a whole trailer? Uh, no, not with the rooftop ones. You can't, okay. but we will carry some extras and then we're going to look for every opportunity to, you know, energy conservation. Like it'll be kind of like, like in the Martian, like you're just going to stop and then plug in the solar panels and just lay there on the ground. 
Yeah. It went yeah. from charge up, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Devin, I admire you and your absolute altruism and idealism yeah. with stuff like this. I would love to get an EV. I'm just not there yet, just with life situation. Yeah. Uh, can I, now, I'm not much of a truck guy, but I admit, since I do follow the EV market, I'm super intrigued by... I love what Ford's doing with the F-150 uh, Lightning, yeah. which I think is going to make a killing because they've just made it a regular looking F-150 that's all electric and has a huge frunk, which is awesome. Yes. But I also love the Rivian. I'm a huge... Uh, and Rivian had their IPO last week. I am I'm I love the Rivians. I think those yeah. are beautiful trucks. Um, is either one of those in the mix? Or yeah. So it? we were... We watched the Ford Lightning launch party live you know, bowl of popcorn ready, ready to go. That, that, we were as like, one why does. are they starting? Sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we were excited and we did, but we both loved the truck. But its problem is that the, the battery size in that truck is the smallest of the three contenders. The three contenders being the Ford, the Rivian, and then the Tesla. The battery in the F-150 is smaller than the Rivian? It's a, it's, it's a substantially quite larger a bit truck. Smaller. That's, that's surprising. That's interesting. Yeah, quite a bit smaller. And so it won't tow, uh, won't go as far its maximum range is about 250 miles, which is great if you're just working, you know, going to the job site and back, yeah. which is really what it's been optimized for. The Rivian has been designed in mind with camping. But even then, I have to say the Tesla is better. It has the biggest battery and the most towing capacity. And it, it's what, it was our first choice. But you may have heard, if you're keeping track of these things, that Tesla rolled back its production schedule 12 months over the summer. And when that happened, we said, we can't wait. You know, yeah. we're not getting younger. Uh, we're going to get the Rivian. So we I'd love had to settled for the Rivian. I'd love to see you in a cyber truck though, just driving around your cyber oh, yeah. truck. <laughs> That's what, you know, that was one of the things. It, Gail hates the cyber truck appearance. At least she did. But the more she thought about it, she But you realized, said, this is my dream, Gail. Deal with it. That's what this whole thing is. <laughs> no, so. no. She began to appreciate that of the three trucks, it is the most obviously not a regular pickup truck. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's the most obviously different. And, and she kind of said, you know, yeah, if, if we're going to do this in part kind of as a business thing to go out and talk about, you know, what we're doing out there on the road, we want to stand out, not be subtle and under the, you know, under the radar. So now, that, are you going to get part the of the appeal? This is a huge digression, but one thing I love about the Rivians is how they have that storage cubby that runs the width of the vehicle right behind yeah. the cab before you get to the wheel well in the truck. It's yeah. in that area that almost any any normal truck where you basically have lost volume kind of where your bed yeah. sets and all that. They've made that a pass-through space for all kinds of storage, but you can also get add-ons with yeah. like a pull-out kitchen with an induction range and stuff like that. Will you? I'm just curious if you will be yeah. getting that with it. I mean, you'll have a trailer, no, no, but we if will, you get that, it would be yeah. so cool. It would be cool, but yeah, that it is a really innovative truck. It's very, it's the most expensive of the three. And, what, a cyber, a and cyber truck? Wow, I don't know that. It's it, yeah, it's about ten grand more than the cyber truck, as close as you can get them apples to apples. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're 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 we've got our Rivian ordered now, and we're waiting. Uh, but we haven't really give, gotten a good idea when we'll get ours. Uh, I talked to a friend who ordered one, and he thinks his is coming in January for no good reason. And I think mine is coming in July for no good reason. So uh, I don't know when or how we'll I mean, ever find out. I mean, people are taking delivery of those, unlike the other trucks. They're in they're in the wild now. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Yeah, that 
So yeah, we're Devin, excited. that's a fascinating adventure for you. Congratulations. Yeah. So yeah, if people are interested, they can follow us at uh, uh, rsolartrailer.com. Now, have you considered vlogging all of this? Because I think a website play is nice, but if you turn this into an actual YouTube channel with regular uploads about what you're doing, I believe you will be successful. You will find- There will be that too. Okay. That will will come. So far, we've been writing about it, but we will be uh, podcasting and and YouTubing and everything. Awesome. OurSolarTruck.com, you said? OurSolarTrailer.com. OurSolarTrailer.com. Well, there we go, everybody. Exciting adventure. I don't have a secondary website to which I can direct you about any of my hobbies. Because <laughs> literally, I have none at this point. My hobby would just be, please go to sleepmychildren.com. <laughs> and that would about it's be Twim. Twim that is your our solar trailer. It. Tonight, we were trying to do a little lesson with them for Family Home Evening about thanks. And so they got to play this game where they randomly picked candy. It was leftover Halloween candy. Candy out of a bowl. They couldn't see it. Whichever color it was, it was color-coded. They had to describe whatever, like a person or an event or a thing or something based on the color that they were grateful for, which was a lot of fun, but I ate candy and I feel gross, you know? And it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm an old man now, Devin, and I don't yeah, like I can relate. candy. And, but my crusade to become diabetic is succeeding. So I'm glad yeah, to see that. I hope yeah. to embrace that going in. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, I don't even know where to start with the news this week. We have a, a, there's a number of articles. I'm sure we won't get to all of them, which is fine. Some of them are mere mentions, which is also just fine. You know, how would this show be if there was no commentary? What if I literally just read like copy covering a headline to explain the news to people and said nothing else about it? That would be yeah. fascinating in and of itself. But uh, we don't do that on the show, folks. Oh, no, it's going to get real. It's going to get heated. Devin, as you know, very just, he's a firebrand and uh, <laughs> yeah. stuff, stuff's going to get real. I'm going to jump into uh, my first one this week out of nowhere. I just found out, we found out this week, they've uh, given us some more information about the upcoming volume of Saints, the wonderful series covering the history of the church. We have volume volume one ended, what, right before the crossing of the plains, I think, if if memory Mm -hmm. serves. Volume two covered a much lengthier period of time. Volume three, though, is not going to just like take us up into, I don't know, you know, World War II and the the McKay area. I'm sure there will be elements of that, but instead, location-wise, it's going to focus primarily on the members of the church in the United Kingdom and Europe, and it'll come out in the first half of 2022. I think this is super cool. I know I'm a bit of a Europhile. I serve my mission in Europe. Uh, Definitely not in one of the classic countries as far as church membership goes. I don't even know if there's a single convert from Spain who came over and crossed the plains to go to to go yeah. to Utah or anything like that. But, my brother did um, his mission in Spain too. I didn't know we had that shared reference. Which mission was he in, Devin? He was in Malaga. Ah, no longer exists, but yeah. yeah. Malaga lasted a while. I was in Barcelona, you know. I so have it's like never I really been to ser- Spain. I've been all over Europe and I've been all around Spain. You I've can never say been I didn't the- really serve in Spain. I served in Catalonia, which is like occupied by Spain, if we want to be clear about it, right? Like we're oh, like, right. Yeah. We're like a, a real nation and a people that are just stuck being part of Spain because Spain said so. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting. But yes, this, this book is going to be great. This will be cool. I'm, I'm st- yeah. I mean, they're going to cover the saints in Czechoslovakia, which... 
you might hear that one and say what, but actually we had a lot of members in Czechoslovakia back in the day. That was a kind of an actually a decent little little nucleus for uh, church activity uh, back when. But Czechoslovakia, the other ones are ones you might expect: France, Germany, the Netherlands, United Kingdom, other European countries. Uh, one of the men working on this is Dr. James Perry, who is an English convert to the church, and he works for the church history department. And he's played a big role in putting all of this together. And I, I think this will be great. This will be a fascinating volume yeah. uh, to learn they, more about these these great saints in different Volumes parts one and two have been terrific. They have really been ter- I, I thought they the, the church deserves great credit for bringing a remarkable transparency and honesty and integrity to these stories. And this is not... What is the book that uh, President Hinckley wrote? The little church history book that he wrote. That uh, I know the one you knocked them. Yeah, not true, not um, true to the and I'm sorry. I, sh- I don't mean to be critical, but it was it was a short faith promoting story version of church history, which I've read. It, it's great. It's brilliant, and it is kind of the inspiring true, version I think of you're church thinking history. Of, uh, truth restored. Truth restored. Yes. Yes. But saints, saints is much more like uh, rough stone rolling, a more academic, thoughtful, expository approach to church history. So that people who do the homework, who actually read these books, come away feeling like, oh, yeah, I understand all the tough things that went on. I, I understand the context for the scriptures. I understand the context for Brigham Young. I understand. And so I, I think these have been really good. And I think we owe so much of this to the even things like the gospel topics essays and the decisions that were made clearly deliberately into being a little more factual, a little less, I don't know how we'd want to say, a little less like faux mainstream in our approach. I mean, I think yeah. like whatever I think of this, I think of the fact that our narrative for years with all the pictures was always Joseph Smith staring down at the gold plates, you know, with his finger running along the text, dictating to Oliver Cowdery right next to him, which wasn't the process, right? And now- right. And for some, at some point, we decided that was the narrative we needed to promulgate because, I don't know, it played better. I don't know what yeah. the reasons were. Yeah. Uh, but we've decided to be a little bit more transparent about these things. And so, and that, like you said, Saints has been great about that. I don't think it'll satisfy every, right. you know, every, every polemicist in the world in some of those senses, but I think they are great books. I'm a little, back, I'm a little backlogged on a volume two, but volume yeah. three, I think this is terrific. I, I, there's amazing stories that come out of this. And I have to wonder... Nothing but conjecture, of course, because had this had many of these saints in Europe not joined the church and then sacrificed a lot, many of them uh, also they joined the church and sometimes they lived in their countries for years while they saved money to pay for a crossing of the Atlantic, for example. I think I think we get in our head these people like got baptized, got on a boat, boom, they were in Nauvoo. It wasn't always that. Sometimes it took many years for them to to join the saints elsewhere. Oh, yeah. But, but I, I have always, so many ancestors. Personally, this is a deeply personal thing for me because yeah. I've I spent a lot of time with the family history, and most of my family comes from the from Great Britain and Denmark. Uh, Gail's my, my wife's family comes from Germany, and so this is going to be the history of our families. This yeah, is we're like the same person. Time. I'm I'm Danish and British too. Oh my gosh! Where in Denmark is your family from? Are they from Viborg? Are we related? I, I'm sure I have Viborg relatives. We, we're all, probably like, cousins. I've got, a, I've got a big, yeah. I've got a strong Mortensen line. That's where they come from on the, uh, yeah. the Danish I'm, side. I'm, I'm really, side. I'm a fake Thorpe, as it turns out. I'm, <laughs> I'm an a- actually genetically a Larson, but my great grandfather uh, was living in Ephraim with about a hundred other Larsons, and the bishop asked the Larsons in the ward, some of them, to change their names. Oh, really? How funny. And 
Uh, there are two theories in the family, but my theory about why he chose Thorpe was that uh, it, it appears to me that there was a prominent Thorpe family living in, in town. And so he chose Thorpe the way someone today might choose a uh, huntsman in Utah. Yeah. That is fascinating. I mean, you hear about stories yeah. like that at Ellis Island or things like, or people don't know better, but you know, they just, what, yeah. what was the rationale at that time in central Utah to ask your family? Yeah, I, I think it was just in the ward. Just the bishop did it. It's the, the, the story so like, we've heard is pretty consistent. Uh, and Was it because there were too many Larsons and he just wanted to mix it up yeah. for the sake of identifying yeah. people and just said, yeah. I need to, yeah, that's all it was. It's just, uh, you know, the ward clerk was confused, I guess, you know. <laughs> I mean, totally different question. How long have there been ward clerks? I don't know. There, That's there I can't imagine clerks? that I don't know. the ward didn't have a ward clerk or someone doing that kind of work, whatever they called him. That's funny that it was that deliberate for you. How cool. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, Openshaws, there were some who crossed. There's actually a decent number of Openshaws in Utah. I don't know if it's the most concentrated part of Openshaw in the U.S., but uh, yeah. Openshaw, it's a, it's a district in Manchester. For best I can tell, Manchester, England. So, you know, we, we stem from there. And uh, best as I can tell, it's a bit uh, rough and ready, uh, is my understanding. I've done some Google image searches on there, some street view stuff. And it looks like it's a bit of a mess, the Openshaw area. I think we could try to make the name a bit stronger. I know Man City kind of plays close by, but uh, I haven't been there. I need to go to Openshaw. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. So this is cool. It'll be, I think, great experience. And what I was getting at before is like so many of these saints came over and they, they bolstered the church in very real ways. I think it stands to reason. I can't say the church wouldn't have survived. The Lord can take care of a lot of things. But this influx of saints from Europe, particularly during like the late Nauvoo period and then crossing the plains was, oh, was yeah. crucial to the strength of numbers of the church of members. Yeah. And that's even why today, if you ever look at it's using census data and things like that, if you look at say by county, um, if you look at, uh, how, how would I phrase this? You know, the, the location of whichever part of the population, the greatest percentage of descent of, wh- of where your descendants are from by county in the U.S., a lot of the U.S. is German, at least for the white population, lots of German. But Utah, almost carved out in the shape of the state, is British. And you see this on these maps. You see j- people are descended from Germans all over America. That's the plurality, at least. Mm-hmm. But very British in Utah because the history there is a lot different. So, um, yeah. Anyways, I always wonder what, it, I wonder what it would be like had they never left. Assuming the church would have survived anyway mm-hmm. here. But had they never left... I wonder how that would be. What would the church yeah. be like in these European countries today yeah. if uh, they weren't drained? Because the church struggles a bit. You know, it's it's comparatively yeah. small. Yeah. And what growth, if growth yeah? Is what if ten thousand Mormons in in uh, London or in in uh, England had become a million today? Yeah. Uh, that would be a very interesting. I mean, thing. you have you have stories of you know Iceland is only has three hundred thousand people today, and you had actually a, back in the nineteenth century a decent number of coppers from Iceland. They came to Utah, and you know they famously, I believe this the famous story says they Brigham Young sent them to Spanish Fort because that's where the Danish people were, and they kind of <laughs> laughed because they're like they're I think back then they were part of the Kingdom of Denmark, but. Uh-huh. Uh, like, yeah, well, we're Icelandic. And so there's a lot of people with Icelandic roots. And Interesting. This will be fun, I'm sure. Yeah, it will be. Will be It'll be a great, great addition. Great yeah, addition. For them. So uh, what did they say? Q, first half of 2020? So first half of 2022, not Q1 necessarily, but first yeah. half. Okay. Well, uh, you picked up a story this week that that probably we could talk about for a minute that just is like, you know, 
weird Mormon stories for the week, uh, but it's it's, this, more, it's Mormons behaving badly. It's this Twin Sisters' favorite. <laughs> there we go. You're right. That's segment. what it is. Yeah, this is for uh, you. But but you know these nice uh, young women uh, from a ward uh, and their young women leader were out leaving thank you notes for Thanksgiving uh, around town on the you know, homes of members of the ward. You know, this was not a very controversial thing, but one of the one of the members of the ward uh, that they left it on was the sheriff. Uh, And he flipped out, came running out of his house with a gun, uh, chased the women into their car, yanked one of the women out of the car, yelled and screamed at her. Uh, Finally, the women uh, felt safe to leave and immediately, of course, called 911 because they'd been traumatized and the... uh, Sheriff is now uh, on leave while this whole situation uh, is uh, investigated. So this, this happened in Blackfoot, by the way, which is Blackfoot, I Idaho. Pretty much That's equidistant right. between like Pocatello and Idaho Falls, roughly, roughly. Yeah, and uh, so this was uh, is Roland the sheriff. I want to get the name right if I say a name. Um. Well. Yeah, it is Craig Roland. Uh, Rowland's probably Roland. Craig Craig Roland. Uh, yeah, who knows how they say that in Blackfoot, but Craig Rowland uh, was the sheriff. And, and he is uh, not a treasure of an individual beyond measure. <laughs> it was not a pleasure. <laughs> so anyway, funny? yes, uh, people behaving badly, uh, Mormons behaving badly this week. Yeah, that, that was an interesting story. I'm glad you found that one. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to provide So here's some of the bigger news that's come out this week. Uh, Quietly tucked away in the November issue of the Liahona, almost at the end sign, of the Liahona, there's a little blurb in the back. And it seems the church, by the way, is now following up on this more. I've seen two official communiques about it come through the system, which always reminds me that whenever I'm released from my calling, I'm going to miss having access to all the official communiques that I currently do. Um, But uh, someday that will end and I will be very sad. So these final little pages of the issue had some interesting changes about how temple recommends are going to be issued. So starting back in October, there were leaders in selected stakes, pilot stakes, I have no idea where they are, uh, have been allowed to issue temple recommends except to those for living ordinances. So meaning your, your own endowment, your own ceiling. And they're able to do so using leader and clerk resources, LCR, the, the, the long gestating replacement for MLS, the, which was the local machine only software to do all things uh, clerical uh, for the church. Anybody who's been in a clerk or other capacity in previous years has known that when I was an elders quorum president, I, we didn't have LCR updated on that level yet. And so I had to go change home teaching assignments at the one, you know, I had to go to the church and use the one computer to do it. So LCR has been a fabulous upgrade for all sorts of these things. And now leaders can print temple recommends from LCR. That'll that, That's huge because you know, your bishop usually has that binder with the carbon copy paper and he tears it out and all that. But they can also apply a digital signature to it if they want to, instead of physically sign it. They can still print one and, phys- and physically sign it if they want to, but they can issue one and digitally sign it and uh, and to pass it along and move it on its way. I think this is great. I think it also, like, it's great they're doing this. There's the cynical part of me is like, this would have been super useful 18 months ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. when, when, <laughs> 
I think now we're settling into a bit more of a normal rhythm because, I mean, I think we had to renew our recommend during the pandemic and it was literally like, okay, meet with us on Zoom. Then we're going to mail you the recommend we have signed. Can you sign it? Then mail it back to the bishop. Then he's going to mail it to the stake presidency member. Then they're going to interview. Then they'll mail it back to you. And like, like that, that's what we were doing because we were not interacting yeah, physically at all. That's crazy. So, that's yeah, crazy. But but, you, you make it through and life goes on and that's okay. So here's the question I have, uh, having looked at this, uh, it isn't clear to me whether at the end of the day, if the state president chooses to digitally sign, do you walk away with a piece of paper that looks like a recommend? And if not, what do you use when you get to the temple? Well, I think they digitally sign, but you still print Still print. So I think you that's, still print. You still print it from LCR, or whatever version. Yeah, that's what I I assumed. But it's interesting. You know, the the article mentioned that the church thinks that the digital signature is more secure. I saw that, uh, and I was trying to figure out in what way that would be the case that it would be more secure. And it seemed to me only if it remains digital would that be true. If it's so I wonder digital. if we're moving in the direction of. Uh, an app. That oh, will... I think we have to be. How could it not eventually be included in in um, tools? LDS tools example, or something. For example, to have that as part of your profile. Yeah. And I, I saw that too about it being more secure. I don't know what that... Does it mean that the digital signature is not simply, you know, uh, like a transparent PNG of their signature that's applied to it? Is it actually something more like when you digitally sign a document in uh, an Acrobat, for example, and it has yeah. this coded signature? Or is it a digital signature something that that also includes some kind of a QR or barcode that is a unique identifier? And so that's why people at the temple would look at it and, and have a way to verify yeah. this was done on the level by uh, you know, a set-apart figure who can do this as opposed to somebody who's just forging a signature, for example. Yeah. I, yeah. But I, I, I don't have any more information beyond that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the other interesting update for it is we're getting rid of the phrase um, limited use recommend. I imagine we, we've seen over the past couple of years, other terms have gone out the window, like investigator, we're not really supposed to say anymore. They haven't announced it, but they updated preach my gospel uh, to reflect that. Uh, less active is not a term anymore. We're supposed to call that a returning member, for example. So initially when this dropped, they had not revealed what you would call the limited use recommend, which is really just describing what it is. It's a recommend that limits what you can do and that you can only do specific activities there. Hadn't said what it was. Uh, however, based in one of those letters that just came out, they didn't say this is what you call it, but this is what they did call it in the letter. They dubbed, they, instead of saying, they said, don't call it limited use recommends. And they call them now <laughs> recommends for proxy baptisms and confirmations. Very so longer. I mean, that literally means if someone's calling you up and they say, can I get a recommend for proxy baptisms and confirmations? Uh, I mean, it's less succinct, but that goes along with them telling us we should tell people we're not Mormons, but we are members of the restored church of the, of the, you know, it, it's all longhand now. So I guess we're just going to go along with it yeah. <laughs> and issue recommends for proxy baptisms and confirmations. That's, yeah, that's the name yeah. of that recommend now. And I guess the other one's just called a temple recommend, or can yeah. we call that one a recommend for initiatories, endowments, and ceilings, both for yourself or on behalf of others. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. But, uh, you know, uh, as we think about temples, one of the things that came up this week that caught me a little off guard, you told me that you had you were aware this was going to happen, but, you know, the, the North Visitor Center on Temple Square in, in Salt Lake is the home of the Christus that has become... Yeah. Yeah. kind of the church 
not let's not call it a logo, but that's what it is. The church, not not a logo, is uh, an image of the Christus statue that has been in the North Visitor Center, of course, based on a Danish sculpture that's uh, identical. That was the 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 original. Um, Done 150 the, years the ago. Thorvald's in scripture or sculpture that's in the Church of Our Lady in Copenhagen. Yes, 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 that one. Excellent. Which I've seen. I'm I'm proud to have been there to see that, and it it is amazing to see the original. But the the place where it was held in the North Visitor Center was really spectacular. I thought it was really moving, and and so I had not picked up on the fact that that was going away. Now, of course, they've removed the statue that's being guarded and will be and kept and it'll be returned somewhere uh in in use but but yeah the north visitor center has been torn down this week i don't know if it's complete but it's it's coming down right now and uh, that building is going to be gone and a sort of a garden outdoor area of quiet reflection will be established preserving a great sight line of the temple from the northwest area of town so it uh it's uh, uh, I was surprised, but I, you know, not bad news, but I yeah. was surprised. Now, did you stumble upon this as a news article or were you traipsing around downtown and you were like, uh, why is there a, uh, why is there some heavy machinery? <laughs> yeah. Knocking down I, this building? I lived, I lived three blocks from there, uh, and I run by there regularly, but I had not seen, I had not seen that happening. I got it from the news. Oh. Well, that's at least better. I mean, it might have been shocking if you were on a run and you just see them yeah, tearing yeah. down oh, the system. God. Like, yeah. What's happening? Yeah, and like you said, I believe the the plans for it are. I think uh, when I was looking at some of the original releases about this, it was back in like June when they talked about this. Yeah, they wanted to make contemplative spaces and provide a direct and clear view of the Salt Lake Temple. And I'm sure I'm sure we talked about this a bit on the podcast at the time. And that's a big focus right now for all of these projects around Temple Square. You know, they tore down the fountain between the office building and the administration building specifically so that it's not blocking a view of the te- of the east face of the temple. You know, they want to enhance all the sight lines to the temple. Um which is interesting. I don't know if that also means like, what are they going to do with the walls around Temple Square? We know in some parts, at least on the Salt Lake Temple side, they want to make it fencing. So it's seems less of like a walled garden kind of thing, you know, mm. you know, more see-through. I don't know if that's going to expand around all of Temple Square eventually. Uh, so there's clean lines to see this. I remember right now, I'm having a lot of memories now of like, yeah, if you're outside Temple Square on the side where the visitor center is on that like north, west corner you know if you're over on the side where mm-hmm. the driveway goes down to go underneath the conference center yeah you can't really see the temple very well it's just you see walls and buildings and stuff like that so they yeah. want to give that a clear line of sight yeah but, but no visitor interest- centers is weird no visitors yeah. just where do you congregate yeah i think they're gonna essentially what this must mean is that the uh, joseph smith memorial building uh the old U- hotel utah will essentially become the the visitor center uh, that's yeah. the only way this is going to work. But the interesting thing that I have seen that I don't remember much discussion about is that they have stripped off and torn down big chunks of what we used to think of as the temple, uh, the old chapel, and some of the ceiling rooms that were added to the temple after the original construction. Oh, the, one, are the, gone. Ones on, the ones on the, on the north side of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah those are yeah. gone. So it, the temple has been reduced to its original size at this point. Now, I don't know what they're going to add back on. I'm not, I'm not that dialed in, but, but, you know, from my runs, I see it's now 
it looks like it did in 1896. Can you see uh, like down in the pit and stuff when you're running around? Do you actually get a good... Um, yeah, I think there are angles where it's, some stuff can be seen. Yeah, yeah. You can see some of the work that's going on. Uh, I, I'm running and so I'm too lazy to stop and check it out. But I, so I just see what I can kind of see as I trot on by. Is my I know that, pattern. yeah. I mean, I know they're doing quite a bit to it. And you mentioned the ceiling rooms. I'm trying to remember some of the old articles. One of the cool things, I know the desk where they're going to check your recommend, that's all going to be subterranean now because they've torn out, they've torn out the old annex, the old chapel, like you mentioned, and they're going to have these w- windows above you. So when you're che- checking into the recommend desk, the temple itself will be a level up kind of looming over the window. It'll have two baptistries as we know. And, um, which is now like a new thing for a bunch of Utah. That's a whole other topic, but it's uh, crazy stuff they're doing in Utah. Man, oh man. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Well, uh, this week they we dropped the new campaign for Christmas, folks. I know we've kind of settled in on Light the World. Uh, year, years ago, if you remember, the Christmas campaign had a different hashtag, different thing every year. Light the World clearly struck the right chord and they've gone back to it every year. We talked about a couple weeks ago, the uh, giving machines are back and they're back online in a handful of locations, or they're going to be coming online in a handful of locations uh, around the United States. So the only difference this year is now the campaign is called light the world with love. Don't just light it, light it with love. Uh, And it's focusing specifically on like on what you can do to demonstrate love towards others. And you would think light the world itself might encompass that, but they're really leaning on that angle. I think that's sorely needed in our day and age, uh, especially here in the U.S. right now. And that's true. I think it's a global problem. It's a global problem. It is, but I guess like for us, you know, I mean, it's, it's been hard. As a side note, like the Halifax Security Forum was this past weekend, which is where global leaders from democracies get together and talk about how to make democracy better and not slide into authoritarianism. And people kind of chided the US because they were like, you guys can't really like lead out on this like you used to. And they're like, yeah, okay. All right. right, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So these are concerns. But one thing I love this year, really simple. There's a lot of good. There's a great video that accompanies it. Shows a family helping a child in the hospital. Uh, really moving. But they also have calendars that you can follow. A daily service calendar with daily service ideas, starting on November 30th, running through Christmas Day. There's great ideas there. I really think if you were to print that out, however, and follow it and let it kind of guide you during those days, it'll make a a measured difference in your day and in the lives of others around you. So I absolutely do it. I'm going to challenge myself to do that. And, but they've also made new for this year, a separate children's calendar to give, to challenge your kids in certain ways. And this is something I love. I mean, it starts and the kids calendar also has a bit of a paint by numbers. So as you work your way through all of the the numbers for the date, you can then go paint in those, uh, different cells and the paint by numbers and it's a nativity scene. So when you get to Christmas day, it'll all be filled in. But this is great. I mean, it talks about how you can uh, write down or draw three things you love about each person in your family, hang this list for your family to see. How has a wise man or a woman blessed you? Thank them for their help. Um, Watch the video of the Christ child, which I think is one of the greatest videos the church has ever produced and enjoy it. Uh, The kids one is dynamite. I love that they, people don't like to call it programming. But I love that they are doing this kind of programming and putting opportunities there specifically yeah. for the kids. That's great. Well, I do love the, I love this great edition of the tag with love um, because in Utah, uh, the 
the application of the old uh, message was simply a testimony, right? And so you had uh, a million Mormons in Utah posting, uh, you know, messages of testimony and their friends on Facebook getting kind of uh, obliterated, feeling left out, and it became sort of a political thing. But sharing love is something no one gets tired of, right? No one gets tired of being treated kindly. Uh, No one gets treated, no one gets tired of being loved. Amen. Um, And real quick, uh, also we're coming up on the first anniversary of the Church News published an article, speaking of campaigns that we're doing, of the hashtag Give Thanks. That's when President Nelson a year ago encouraged us to spend this Thanksgiving time giving thanks and posting about it. And I, I don't remember the exact words where it was basically smother the world in gratitude, you know, flood the world with gratitude. And I thought it was awesome. This retrospective of the church news goes into some anecdotes, stories of what people experienced during this time and how going out of their way to give thanks helped them a lot. Like for, there's one woman named Nancy Medell in Salt Lake City. Her husband died in 2020 after a long battle with cancer. And she said like the, you know, I, it was a hard grief filled year with all kinds of newness I did not want to or desire to embrace. Then I was challenged to be grateful for something, anything I could. And my attitude softly, gently, in a way I could embrace, changed my thinking every morning. Anyways, good to read this retrospective. I'm almost sad we're not just doing this one again as well, but I wouldn't want it to be rote. I think we are in a, a raw place emotionally as a country and as a, as a world uh, last Thanksgiving compared to this Thanksgiving, for example. So cool to go back and read that if you want to uh, follow up on what happened with Give Thanks. And you know what? Why not? It's still the week of Thanksgiving in the US. You could still do some Give Thanks, folks. People start doing it. I bet if you go and start doing some social feeds and do hashtag give thanks, people will just think it's a thing once more and it'll happen. <laughs> That's right. Serious. So it will. It will indeed. Well, indeed. You know, one of the things that I love that you picked up this week, uh, Jeff, is the there are a couple of examples of the church sharing stories of uh, saints getting out and uh, doing relief efforts for Afghan refugees. and. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a really politically fraught space, but there is this great safe point in the middle of all of this, and that is whether or not you want those humans here in uh, the United States, once they're here, there is no excuse for not loving them and caring for them. And so it's great to see the church celebrating the units, the wards, the projects that are doing that. Uh, our ward has a great history of helping refugees. I'm hoping we'll get involved in that too, as the refugees, there are about 700 Afghan refugees headed our way. I'm hoping we'll get involved with that. But it's uh, an incredibly important effort uh, that I hope will completely uh, circumvent the politics and allow us just to, to love and serve. It's uh, one of the stories you're referencing here has happened in Northern Virginia, where I live, you know, in the, in the DC yeah, suburbs. That's right. And, uh, you know, I've, I, don't, I wouldn't say we've been, my family, super actively, directly engaged with it, but I, I, we've been acutely aware of the effort uh, surrounding this. I mean, it's a stake neighboring, all the stakes have been involved, but the stake neighboring, our stake, has been one of the sort of the center stakes that's been organizing a lot of this effort. And it's been great to see. You've seen our Stake Relief Society president posting 
multiple times a week saying, here's what we need for this, 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 this. We've got this assignment coming up to do this, 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 and this. Um, I'm super grateful for it. I, the only thing I wish is not that anyone would deal with being a displaced person. There's, you know, about roughly 80 million people in the world who are displaced persons, which is just horrific. I just hope we can give voice to the other ones that are outside of, you know, massive news, like the the messy Afghanistan withdrawal that got this in the headlines and made us think about it and made us want to be more involved much more overtly. Let's Let's use our resources and also be aware of the many others who might not make the headlines who are in similar situations and, you know, carry this carry this good thing forward. So we don't talk about Afghan refugees. Let's talk about how we're helping Uyghur refugees or refugees yeah. from Latin American countries are all over the place, but it's wonderful. Or, we're yeah. Doing and the asylum seekers from Guatemala and, and, and uh, El Salvador and Nicaragua. Yeah. There, I like the way you of- said it. I like the way you said it though, Devin is we can remove ourselves from the politics of it. And like, you know, like, right, it's fine. Like we, anyone should have justified concerns about border security and, and the integrity of your country. That's totally fine. But we could set all of that aside and say, you know what? The bottom line is if they're here in our country, they are here and they are our responsibility as God's yeah. children and we as people who have the resources to look at. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to look at it and just totally set aside all the rest of it of how, of how anyone even got here. And just recognize that they are here and that is the reality we're in. Yep. Stop. Boy, well said. Well said, Jeff. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh Devin, do you want to know what the church has actually said about garments? <laughs> uh, I think they told us to wear them. That's my understanding as well, is to wear them. Yes. Yeah. Um, as a side note, by the way, I was once looking for pictures of... The, the, I've seen this image they use of this woman staring at garments in the store. There are very few official pictures the church has of garments that you can use in this sense. There are the official ones they put out with those videos showing them off more, which I think is good. But when you're writing an article about garments, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to make this my header image. You know, you're trying to still be respectful about it. So I'm just calling on the church to make more pictures of distribution centers and the garment buying experience, something where we can know what we're looking at without potentially veering into vain repetitions or being disrespectful of the garment itself. That's just, if anyone's listening, that's what I want to give to you. So this is an LDS Living article. What the church has actually said about wearing temple garments. Talks a little bit about the history of wearing garments, why we wear garments, the purpose of them. They quote some conference people. They quote some older material that might be a little more outdated. Uh, But like this uh, first presidency letter from 1974, uh, for example, not saying it's not legitimate because of that. It's just, you know, I mean, we, we know what the most recent stuff... I do think it gets on some of the main points when it does talk about the, uh, oh, where is that? What the handbook says. Uh, and then there's also, you know, a first presidency letter from October 2019. And that's where they just remind you, the crux of it, folks. Sometimes there's a debate about these things, but the garments are a reminder of the covenants we make in our temple and we should wear it properly. The question for many has been, what does properly mean, right? And um, as they make a point here, you know, the the garment as Gospel Topics article says, should not be removed for activities that can reasonably be done while wearing the garment and should not be modified to accommodate different styles of clothing. For me, I think that's pretty clear. I appreciate, though, that LDS Living's article, their copy, what LDS Living is saying, they say reasonably be done uh, is a matter of personal agency and thought and prayer, which I think is very important. I know it works for me. I read that and I say, yeah, I can do most of my stuff keeping my garments on. I don't, if I take them off, it's just because I'm complaining, I'm sweating. 
But it's just because I'm complaining I might be sweating, right? That's not necessarily the reason. Um, and that's for me. So you all do you and let's all not judge each other, at least about that. Yeah, I think you can be very judgy about modifying the garment to fit certain clothing. Am I right or am I right, people? <laughs> then it's painfully obvious. It's like, hell, I, you know how much I saw it on my mail? <laughs> I don't like, honestly, care to, On my mission in Spain, I saw so frequently women, active active members and everything, you know, everything, who would wanted to wear sleeveless shirts, not uh-huh. cap sleeves, sleeveless. And they just kind of roll the capped sleeve. I don't, and I don't, I, I don't envy women for having to deal with all of yeah. this and the pressures of society for how you, like I wear a shirt and a tie. It's really easy. For, I don't envy women. You guys have enough on your plate. Yeah. But um, they would like roll it up kind of inside so it wouldn't hang out from the sleeveless shirt. But it just made it funnier because you could see kind of like this poof of yeah, rolled up. Yeah textile sitting well, there. I saw I, this like all the time, but it kind of just cracked me off. I love the yeah, effort. I think you're wise obvious. to, I think you're wise to, uh, remember your good counsel to, uh, not judge our fellow members. Uh, cause yeah, our, That's... the sisters in the church face so much pressure that we brethren do not, they, you know, just incredible. You know, the, um, yeah, they just so face Devin, pressure. Hot, hot take, hot take, hot take from me from some of the things I've seen. Do you yeah. do, do? How do you feel about those who would argue primarily, primarily women, in my experience, and this is not a value judgment one way or the other, but who would argue the garment is a tool of patriarchal oppression, particularly for women? Oh, that's an what interesting. Require, what it requires of them in terms of, of yeah. fashion and, and yeah, such I um. Yeah, I think of the temple, the temple garment as being a fairly effective um, reminder of our temple covenants, and I think it's important in that regard. Um, and over my lifetime, I've seen a pretty dramatic shift in the way we talk about temple garments, which is why I think it's interesting that in 2021 there we're quoting something written in 1974, because there has been a big change. When, when I was a kid, the, the talk of temple garments was their magical superpowers. I'm sorry. I, I was there. Yeah. Right. And, and we talked about how, you know, you, you jump into a river and you float down and nothing happens to your body under the temple garment part, but you know, your head is smashed and you're dead, but your body's fine <laughs> where you had temple garments. I mean, the stories like that were common and you could walk through napalm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Down. I mean, I, you know, the, but that was kind of the feeling is that they were a protection and it was a physical armor. Right. And so that's why missionaries got it. And that whole dialogue was there. That's really faded. Right. Today we mm-hmm. talk about it. I think much more appropriately as a reminder of our temple covenants. Um, so then the, I guess that would ask is if you view the temple covenants as being a, uh, you know, part of the patriarchy to oppress women, then certainly the garments are, if the temple covenants are not, if you see them as something else, then of course the garments are not. So that's how, that's how I would answer that. Uh, uh, and I, I don't think of the temple covenants as, uh, essentially as a, uh, a tool of the patriarchy, 
but you know, the language has changed over the years and there are some things I suspect I and uh, some other women kind of hope will change too in the, in the future. And I, I don't see the, the uh, temple covenants, the temple ordinances being perfect. They're just what we have now. If we saw them as perfect five years ago, it's only changed twice in the last five years. So, I mean, uh, I think we've got to recognize that they are good. They're right. Um, and we have faith that when we do the work under the language that we currently have, that the Lord recognizes them. Um, that I don't think we teach or believe that they are word for word perfect and can't ever be changed. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Devin. Yeah. For what it's worth. For what it's worth. Um, you know, you, you tagged something that I saw. You tagged what you saw on Facebook. I, I saw a similar post from Richard Osler on, on uh, Twitter. And he really made an interesting, interesting point um, that I think bears repeating. And I'm, so I'm glad you, you tagged it for us to talk about today. But uh, on social media, Richard Osler shared a thought with friends about... Um, protecting religious freedoms. And he notes that uh, sometimes we talk about uh, a, a group of people, you know, they are coming after our religious freedoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard is uh, probably one of the most effective LGBTQ allies in the church, right? And so he's pointing out that when we say they, that many people understand that to mean a reference to LGBTQ people, including those in the church. And when they, when our LGBTQ friends and family members hear us talk about the they, that they may interpret as being them, they feel like they're being ostracized in the very meeting they wish to join and be a part of and feel welcome in and to and by. And, you know, that is really an important message. And he has this great quote in his post that you shared with me. And I apologize for kind of stealing this one. I'm eager to hear your comments, Jeff, but this quote from Brene Brown, not often quoted in church, but Brene Brown uh, said, common enemy intimacy kind of a defined term here, is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond with others is simply that we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, immediately gratifying, and an easy way to discharge outrage and pain. It is not, however, fuel for real connection. And and I will say, having been in politics the last couple of years, I can tell you that, that in politics, we use that that concept of common common enemy intimacy a lot. And I would say far Mm -hmm. too much, even in politics, but it has no place in church, right? And and what he's pointing out is that when we use a mystery they, our LGBTQ friends and family members feel like we are talking about them and that they are the enemy. And so when you talk about protecting religious freedom, his point is you need to say who we are protecting uh, religious freedom from and in what way. 
Um, because generally speaking, uh, the LGBT community is not coming after our religious freedom. Now, some of course might argue that they are because there's, there's the quote unquote gay agenda, right? You know, and they are, they're coming after our freedom. We can't worship the same way we used to, right? It's uh, you know, I, which I, I, there was probably a time in my life when I kind of believed that. And I think I was less, just less informed and less up on a lot of, a lot of, these things. But, you know, Prop 8 back in California made me deeply uncomfortable. I thought it drew a lot of wedges uh, between us and the community and even between our families and um, for, for what it stood for. And the church even recognizes that. Like, we don't, th- there's not newsroom articles about that, but the church recognizes that. I've done enough talking and researching and t- knowing it's secondhand, but knowing people who have known people. And seeing the outreach efforts they've done after the fact when they send guys like Marlon Jensen to sort of uh, do damage control in the Bay Area later on, Prop 8 hurt the church a lot. And that's why I think we have not gotten involved in similar fights since then. We've stressed the importance of trying to find balance in these things. I mean, you know, the famous Utah Compact, you know, trying to balance the very real needs and and civil rights of LGBTQ saints. You know, President Oaks was talking about that last week in Charlottesville. That like, no, that's like that and religious freedom are equally issue are equal issues. They are equally important. It is it is extremely valuable. We protect people's freedoms, not necessarily the expense uh, of the other. You know, one or the other. So. Anyways, I'm happy that you wanted to read this. I love Richard Osler. And by the way, folks, if we interviewed him earlier in the year, January or February of this year. So if you go to thisweekinmormons.com or scroll down, you know, 40 odd episodes through the podcast feed, what a a wonderful man and a thoughtful interview. And I love because his experiences have come from his experience uh, being a YSA bishop and in counseling with the members of his flock at the time, which opened his eyes up to a lot of things. And it's sad because I see people who have review bombed his books at Deseret Book, for example. You know that he's an that he is an enemy of the church, uh, which I don't think is the case. I think his entire no. his entire message is to, like he says, listen, learn, love, just talk to people, and understand their needs, and don't vilify them, and don't look for that enemy, like you were saying, Devin. I mean, it's yeah. it's true. It's easy to have an enemy. Common enemies make us feel better. Common enemies oh, yeah. give us something to rally around. You know, but. Like you said, it might work in politics, but it doesn't work in God's kingdom to do that. We and it's and it's not easy. It's not easy being an LGBTQ Latter Day Saint, and it hasn't been easy. I think for the church to find its footing and figure out the best way to approach a lot of these issues. But I think we're, I think the church is improving. I think a lot of those relationships are improving. I don't think it's what everyone wants it to be in every way, but. It's uh, it's hopefully evolving quite a bit. I hope we can also yeah. program our brains in that same way. I, it's it's even a bigger discussion about the whole concept of you know the world, quote unquote, which is right. something I don't adore. Uh, as far as how we uh, like, what is the world and what does that even mean? I know a lot of good people in the world. I know plenty yeah. of people in the world who are better Christians than Latter Day Saints. Right? I'd like right because we run the gamut too. We don't have a monopoly on goodness in our church. Right. We we might say we have the market cornered on having the restored priesthood authority on the earth and access to all the saving ordinances and the authority to perform them. But we do not have the market cornered on just being good people. And maybe the best recipes for fuel, funeral potatoes. I'm not sure. That might also be ours to claim. Yeah. We also have the market cornered on bizarre food traditions. (laughs) 
Which <laughs> no, are they're no more bizarre than anybody else's, but they are, are born as out of, I don't interesting know as anyone else's. I don't know what. It's a, it's a fun anthropological study. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, yeah, this was just a simple post by Richard Oslo, but I thought it was good food for thought. Good reminder. Yeah. Like, like we, it's too easy to be make throwaway statements and not realize who we might be hurting in the process as we're wondering about the people who are uh, taking away our freedoms. And I don't think they are taking yeah. pe- people who believe in LGBTQ rights. I don't think they're taking away our religious liberty. I don't think there's anything that's shown that. I mean, we're already six years removed from uh, Oberfell or whatever. I mean, gay marriage has been legal in the U.S. for six and a half years. I don't think it's impaired my freedom to worship in any way whatsoever. Right. right. Not that I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Not that some, stuff stuff could go sideways at some point, but I have not seen anything that would suggest that. I think my freedom to worship is far more threatened by other things like authoritarianism and things like that should be a major concern. But uh, anyway, yeah. you asked for my opinion, Devin. Yeah. And I no, gave it to you. Sharing. You did. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, real quick in our waning moments here, we always wind up with plenty of stuff to talk about. Cool article here by Tad Walsh over at uh, Deseret News. He says, why President Nelson is assigning an unprecedented number of apostles to dedicate temples. And I admit I'd kind of, I noticed a bit that a lot of the 12 were going around dedicating temples and I wasn't sure if it was just COVID related, like it's just to let the younger guys go and travel and do these things. We also haven't had, we've only had two temple dedications since COVID and they only happened in the past couple of weeks, for example. But no, this is a deliberate effort by President Nelson to be more inclusive. Traditionally, as you've seen for years, usually it's a member of the first presidency who's dedicated to temple with occasional exceptions. I'd say over the past decent stretch of history, not a slam dunk, but more or less something along those lines. Um, However, dedicating temples during President Nelson's administration uh, you've got President Nelson did one in Chile, and he also dedicated the one in Rome. I think Rome was like one of the few instances where it, you know we knew that was kind of a marquee experience as far as temple dedications, and we're like, yeah, we're sending in every. We're, we sent they sent everybody there. The entire fifteen of them were there, but that one they did for President Nelson because you know it's Rome. Like, yeah, we're gonna do that. Okay, no offense to the fine people of of, of Linden, Utah, but you're not Rome. Okay. (laughs) So let's pull see. I mean, you got President Oakston one in Colombia, but Elder Renlund did the one in the DRC. And that's meaningful for him because he spent time in Africa. Elder Suarez has dedicated temples in Brazil and Peru. Um, You know, Elder Bednar did the one in Haiti, which actually surprises me. I would have thought Elder Anderson would maybe do one in Haiti, but hey, whatever. You know, at least because he's a Francophile, Francophone. Uh, Anderson did the one in Portugal. Rasban did the one in Durban. Elder Gong got to do Manitoba. President Ballard just did Pocatello. Uh, recently. But I love that President Nelson has said, no, this is like a legit thing I'm doing to spread the wealth around. His quote is just pure love. And I'm so happy. He says, have you ever been a father? And he's talking about um, Elder Suarez being the first Latin American apostle dedicating the temples in Brazil and Peru. And President Nelson said, have you ever been a father taking the children on a fishing trip? Are you happy catching fish? Are you happier watching your children catch fish? I get more joy out of the fact Ulysses Suarez dedicated the Fortaleza Temple than if I'd done it. I really do. I'm so happy he's had that experience. I just, I don't know. I'm just full of love for that. I love that he's just saying, this is way more meaningful for him to do than it would ever be for me. And the Lord, at the end of the day, probably doesn't care who's dedicating the temple as long as it's someone with the proper authority, right? So bully for them. I will bet you, however, my next paycheck 
that when the Bentonville, Arkansas temple is dedicated, Elder Bednar will be the one to dedicate it. I have 1,000% assurity that that will be the case. So anyways, okay. that's cool. I love I'll, I'll remember that uh, when that happens. Okay. Uh, Bring it. Okay. Yes. Bring it. Um, I, I want to just mention as we wrap up that right. uh, just a follow-up piece, you know, two years ago, uh, the University of Wyoming apologized to the 14 black players who were kicked mm-hmm. off the team for expressing a desire to wear black armbands in protest when they played BYU. Uh, back in 1967, 68, uh, of course that precedes the end of the ban on blacks in the priesthood. And of course, uh, these black players wanted to protest that, which seems reasonable. Uh, but the university of Wyoming, uh, to keep friends with BYU kicked them off. And, uh, so the church has worked with them to kind of, mend fences. And so the mm-hmm. relationship between the university and the church and these 14 black players has been really restored. Um, two years ago, there was a formal apology by the university and, and they've begun an annual tradition of the food, the church donating food that the university and these 14 players helped to distribute and organize. And so that happened again this year. Uh, it was great to see that tradition uh, continuing and and continuing that effort to mend fences from uh, some painful history. Yeah, I'm glad that they're all about it. Well, folks, I think that'll do it this week. Unless there's any other, any other ones you want to hit on, you know, we had a big indexathon in New Zealand. Lots of indexing, very exciting. Yeah. Anyways, and COVID is making us mean to each other. Get out. Uh, yes. And I thought it was funny. Hard hitting news from Devin, people. Yeah. So someone wrote an article. I won't name her, but someone wrote an article that basically said that people who don't do it the way I do it are are horrible and mean. And I thought the article was horrible and mean. Um, <laughs> so I just agreed with her thesis that, in fact, yes, COVID is making us horrible and mean. And it's hard. I have real sympathy. We got into it in our Sunday school class this week. Did you? And yeah, it's it was a painful discussion a little bit. And, you know, I think a lot of us sat on our hands and bit our tongues and and we tolerated some really... Was that... Did, was your lesson on like sections 133 and 134? And it was talking about was it the role the of government, but yours devolved into the role of government should not be to. Yes, yes. So there was yeah, an argument yeah, about okay. masks as yeah. part of that discussion. And it, was, it didn't get carried away. Thankfully, the, you know, the people in the class and the uh, teacher did a good job of not going down that rabbit hole too far. But, you know, it, it was just a reminder that people are really wound up about that. Ours was interesting in the same lesson. We didn't. We, thankfully, we didn't go anywhere near uh, COVID stuff. I just thought it was fun to talk about kind of the role of government in this gospel context. I teased our teacher yeah. before it started, who's a friend of mine, who's an ardent libertarian, a very learned libertarian. He's a constitutional lawyer, nicest guy in the world. Um, and I was just like, so I saw him write the question, like, what what does God view like the role of government to be? And I was like, are you just going to stand here and tell us it's nothing? Like the role of government is <laughs> there is no role. Get out. <laughs> no, but that, I thought that was, uh, I'm glad you brought that whole lesson up because I got a lot out of our lesson on Sunday yeah. uh, on that topic, realizing the main thing God cares about is a government that gives us our agency yeah. to worship as we may and make choices as we may. There are many countries where people do not have such yeah. agency. 
But, you know, one of the things that came up in our Sunday school class was the fact that the church sort of at that time had had this sort of tacit approval of slavery, which, of course, did not provide for uh, those rights. And and the the scripture, 134, is full of references to personal property. and, and, And when you read that in you know, as a 1934 or 1940, or excuse me, 1840 context, you go, oh, wait a minute. At least some of the personal property they're talking about is human beings. Yeah. Uh, And so this is, it's a messed up, difficult to read chapter or section if you are an African-American or have great empathy for African-Americans and the church's history with them. Uh, So not that that makes it easy and it doesn't mean it's not scripture, but one of the great things that was pointed out is that section 134 did not purport to be revelation. It was a declaration of understood principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not uh, explicitly a revelatory document like so many from Joseph Smith, where he's writing down the, the mind and will of the Lord. Uh, this was the mind and will of the church government. Uh, for posterity, recorded for posterity. So it's a little yeah. different in that regard. And if I remember, 133 was was written to be kind of a, like a wrap-up coda for the Book of Commandments, wasn't it? Also kind yeah. of in the same vein, yeah. So I thought it was a good lesson. I was surprised. I was worried given the subject matter, it could devolve into perhaps what you had or you know, <laughs> yeah, or, was... or, or a giant just like hagiographic party about the founding fathers where everyone in the class holds up their picture of the prayer at Valley Forge, which never happened. And yeah. um you know, gets all excited about that stuff. I like that some people noted they were just like, like, cause they were talking about, you know, the founding fathers and all the great things they did. And this woman raised her hand and was just like, yeah, just remember all of this only applied to white men who own land. Like, right. like it was yeah. good at the time, but. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I like to, I've been reminded of this past year or so, as I've thought about a lot of this stuff is that when the constitution talks about protecting the rights of the minority. The minority they had in mind was white elite men. Yeah. That was the minority whose rights were to be protected because they knew that white, educated, rich, wealthy men would always be a minority in the country and their power needed to be protected so that they could benevolently looked after everyone else and their best interests because that they knew best. And it's a little bit scary when you kind of realize that's a lot of what Hamilton, Jefferson and Washington had in mind explicitly or implicitly as they were thinking about how to operate the government. And today we have a much more, even most Republicans uh, in the church have a much more egalitarian philosophy uh, than our founding fathers did at the time they wrote the constitution. Is Devin right, listeners? Sound off, constitutional people. <laughs> want to hear your hot takes about this issue? You can, of course, yeah, send me an email. I don't have any feedback for you on that. Contact I may never be allowed back. <laughs> Please let Devin know. You can find Devin Thorpe at my, mysolarlife.net.ru. It's probably, it's probably going to be a .ru website by the time we're done. Um, 
Yeah, probably. No, but, but for like real that. folks, if you, you know, send us your feedback, contact us at com. You can comment on this post on Facebook or elsewhere or stream the post on This Week in Mormons. We encourage you to leave a review wherever you get your podcast because it helps against algorithms and makes me feel spiffy. Um, beyond that, join us on the social media channels. And of course, huge thanks to our Patreon supporters for everything you guys do to help keep this show going, which is not freely produced, but freely given. That sounds very spiritual, but you guys help make that possible. If you want to go to patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons, you can pledge $75 a month. I just keep, I'm upping it every week by irrational amounts, Devin. So next week, I'm going to call for people to donate $300 a month. There you go. Yeah. It's good. Uh, it's good. But sincerely, thank you. Every little contribution makes a difference. So truly, if it's a buck, I don't care. If it's $3, maybe a little better. But either way, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And Devin, we wish you well. I don't know if we'll sync up again. You're going to be a busy man with a lot of change here. So next yeah. time we touch base, I might not see your beautiful black, your beautiful wood paneling. Yeah. Well, I might you. be in Florida. You might be palm trees behind me. I'll see a manatee. <laughs> a manatee hanging from a palm tree. And the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Oh boy. What fun Yeah. I got to get some Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars gear. No, you don't. You don't have to do any of those things. This is, this, is, this, is, this is folly, Devin. Anyway, all right, everybody. Thanks for being here this week. It's been a pleasure to h- hang out with you. Always great to see you, Devin. Uh, to Thank our you. U.S. listeners, we hope you have a great and safe Thanksgiving. And that uh, if you're traveling, please do so safely and securely. And we hope all goes well for that. And uh, we're going to be official holiday season turf starting next week. So we look forward to that. Until then, for Devin, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. Talk to you later.